Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You're a busy entrepreneur architect. You're hustling to find the next project, meet with clients, keep the bills paid, and if you're lucky, maybe find some time to design. So how do you continue to learn what you need to know to grow? How do you find the information and the training you need to become more effective, more efficient, and more successful in business? I know you're busy because I'm an entrepreneur architect too. That's why we built the Entree Architect membership. On the first Wednesday of every month, we invite an expert into the academy, and they teach us about one specific topic on how to succeed at business. 60 minutes every month. Live training and Q&A then you can get right back to work. And when you remember, you'll gain access to so much more, unlimited access to business resources, a video library, digital courses, and a private member forum with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. Everything you need to build a better business is available right now at Entree Architect. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com join. That's entrearchitect.com join. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 293, and this week I'm speaking with Simon Maddox, and he'll share a step-by-step guide for developing foundational business systems at your architecture firm. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. 
and FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Simon Maddox, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark, and thank you for having me on. It's it's great to have you on. The, the, my my audio might be a little bit different to listeners because today I'm mobile. Um, you're coming from uh, you're 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 talking to me from Sydney, Australia. So we have a little bit of a time difference than we usually do here at Entree Architect Podcast. So I'm in my mobile studio here, aka my car. And so uh, the audio may be a little bit different, but I wanted to have this conversation with you, uh, Simon, because you and I are very much on the same wavelength when it comes to helping uh, small firm architects and other design professionals succeed in business. Um, You're doing some great work over at Practically Partners, um, and I wanted to have this conversation and share it with the audience. And so uh, that's that's why we're in in, in a different location recording this at a different time. And so Listeners may be hearing a little bit different audio today. I just wanted to mention that. Before we get started, let me just introduce you a little bit. Um, With more than 40 years of managing and owning various project businesses, the founder of Practically Partners has developed a deep-seated passion for helping project businesses become truly successful, offering practical coaching and development sessions for project businesses such as architects, interior designers, engineers, contractors, and project managers, He helps leaders measurably improve their success and prosperity. All the way from Sydney, Australia today, Simon Maddox is with us at Entree Architect Podcast. Simon, I just shared a little bit about you, and I do this with every guest that I have. I sort of give a a brief intro, and then I ask about their origin story. And I want to know your origin story, too. You've been in the business for a long time, and I wanted to uh, hear your story about where you discovered um, architecture and design and engineering and that whole world of what we do here. Um, and what inspired you to, to follow that path uh, and give us that story of the journey from that point to where you find yourself today? Okay. Um, look, the, the, the journey towards architecture and design, I guess, you know, kicks off early on at school, like a million other kids out there a Meccano set, you built things, you did Lego, all of that, you yeah. know, building structures, um, you got involved in all of that, uh, that arena, I, I really enjoyed it, um, I left school with good grades, but not a great deal of a notion about where it all went afterwards, and um, I, was, I had a choice of either doing architecture or interior design. And um, the interior design course actually started about three weeks, four weeks before uh, the architectural, my architectural course was to start. And so I thought, well, look, I'll do three or four weeks of that, launched into (laughs) it. And I enjoyed it so much. I said, oh, I think I'll dump, (laughs) I won't go on with architecture. I'll stay where I am. So, uh, look, it was a four-year course. I found it was something that I had definitely found my kind of niche in in the world i related to it i was successful in getting that work um lecturers were giving me part-time work while i was going through because i was picking up what i was doing pretty well and um you know i (laughs) 
I left university at the time that um, basically Australia was in a recession and the standard joke of finding a good, you know, how do you find a really good architect was hail a cab. And <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a great time to be entering the profession. However, again, I was fortunate, picked up a, um, a, a job with uh, one of the major builders and design for design companies in Australia. And, um, but within a very short period of time, I was asked to actually set up a design division of an architectural practice. Uh, that I found, you know, really challenging. It was, um, there wasn't a lot of guidance, so I wasn't how did you, being mentored. How did you make that transition? Um, you really just nut it down to common sense. You just got logical. Um, in fact, if I wind the story back a little bit, you know, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur from the age of 13. I started my first business at school making custom surfboards with my neighbor. Oh, cool. And what started out as a small time thing over the last four years, we were going through school from 13 through to, you know, whatever it was, 17. Um, we wound up supplying, you know, four different schools, 50 odd kids with <laughs> new, new surfboards. And, uh, you know, it was a grounding in the whole idea of, there's a process to build things. You know, you don't just start somewhere. It's, you have to construct it. You have to plan your processes, plan production. Uh, you have to do your cash management, you had to do your cash flow management to buy your materials. We're doing all of this as teenagers. So you learn those early lessons in business. Early really on. early. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I guess it's referred to almost as street smarts. You just, yeah you realize these are the fundamentals and um, you can never lose sight of those fundamentals, you know? Yeah, so, and, I, and those are the things that when we, become, we, we go through architecture school and we decide we're going to become architects and, you know, and start our own firm. Um, those are the fundamentals that, that we have to learn too, right? Those are the things that, that we're not taught in architecture school. Yeah. And so, so, uh, which is why people follow Entree Architect and, the, and we've built a, a really great community here of architects sort of seeking that knowledge. And so that, that's, um, you know, in every business that we, uh, small business owners like to even surfboards, it's all the same business fundamentals that we're seeking. Absolutely. And they are fundamentals and they have to be, and they have to be kept in that context that they are fundamental to what's required and failure to deal with your fundamentals will see you in a world of pain and, and all the good wishes in the world and all the great magazine shots you think you've got won't fix those fundamentals. Right. You know, right. They're just the, they're the dressing, they're the icing on top of having a real, having a good business that is commercially sustainable. You know, you have to keep running. You have to keep seeing moving forward. And, and if you, what you haven't, if what you're doing can't maintain and sustain itself over the long term, then you've, you're missing some of the fundamentals and you need to go back and address those fundamentals. Right. I've digressed, so I've, I've digressed a bit, but, but it is kind of the essence of what, what we, you know, what I really would like to talk about. <laughs> exactly. And, and I want to get there, but I, I don't want to skip over your, your origin story because people enjoy yeah. learning where our guests come from. So you, so you found yourself now uh, leading a design firm. 
Correct. And sort of at the, the age of 25, uh, the firm had, was actually in, actually, it's interesting, the firm was fundamentally in crisis mode because it, uh, it wasn't following business fundamentals. And so when I took over the, the management of it and, and the running of it at uh, 25, there were three of us. And over the next five years, I built that up to 25 architects and designers. And, um, you know, we were turning over multi-millions with, you know, not only our federal government and state government, but, you know, large multinationals, you know, um, Bank of America was a client of mine out here. Um, in fact, at one point I had six of the 10 largest financial institutions globally with their office work in Sydney uh, under my control. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great time. It was, it was really exciting. But the thing that, uh, the, I, I guess the tipping point for the business, that small business at a young age, was uh, arrived at the point where um, it was no longer... We, it wasn't just a great design studio. In fact, my objective when I set out with it was it would be a great business that produced great design, not a great design studio that might turn into a business. At, at 25, how did you know, how did you have that wisdom? Because that's a pretty wise viewpoint when you come into a situation like that, thinking that, okay, this is not a design business. This is a, this, we're going to build a, a great business that does design. How, do you, how did you know to do that? Was that just from your past knowledge? It was two, two aspects. One, my past knowledge, but two, also the fact that I had no backup. You know, my, you know I had no other fallback. It wasn't a case of, yeah. oh, someone will bail me out if, if, this, if this goes wrong. It had to be, yeah. I, was, I, was the, I was the final backdrop to that whole exercise, and uh, it had to work. And so it was about risk minimization. How do you how do you minimize that risk? You make damn sure your fundamentals are happening. And yeah. the thing that the thing that really started to get to me with and as the numbers grew and as as more and more people joined the firm was how do you maintain the culture, the standard of work, and the essence of what it is you're trying to do? And all of the core values that, you know, you kick the business off with, how do you, how do you transfer and have adoption from everybody else? And right. it became very clear when you're making the same speech and doing the same thing with a different person each time that you're going, I've got to start to get systemized about what I'm doing start looking at the processes. These processes are starting to repeat themselves. You know, it's yeah. just the same stuff. And it's, it was an exercise where uh, the, the, the tipping point was to say, okay, if, if we're looking at process, then we have something that can be defined. If you've got something defined as a process, you can start to look for a system that can help you get through that. And you know, it was also uh, fortunate that at that point, <clears throat> you know, the PC and the, the Macintosh uh, sort of computer was available, that there was computing power on the desk. So you suddenly went from doing, 
hand compiled spreadsheets into formatted spreadsheets and the world opened up suddenly the accuracy came into what you were doing um and i was one of the very first people that sort of sat there and said how do we take this a step further i started to design databases that would take over the really mundane and i was looking at what the biggest loss makers in the business were and for us contract administration was the biggest loss making or time consuming um activity and because there would be an error in it, you would have to go back over the whole thing and redo it all again. And that would happen multiple times until you got, until you, you found the right answer or you had it accurate. Um, and so systems and uh, processes allowed me to standardize and control all of those outputs. And not only for me, but every single person, all 25 of us could do the same thing and get the same result. And therefore, it wasn't just individual silos of people doing their own thing. It was genuinely uh, a group standard. And that things such as time management, I mean, when you're for, for small architectural and design firms, you know, time is money. And that's not, and I'm not kidding when I say that. It is genuinely your time is money. And an hour spent doing trying to find a lost file costs the business exactly the same as an hour spent on developing a sketch design for a you know five million dollar job. It's you know for one of them you've you've got a revenue stream and an outcome. The other is just absorbed and disappeared with no real benefit. Same cost to the business though. Yeah. And today, and today you're teaching this. Today you're 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 a consultant. People can hire you to help uh, with their businesses go through this process of of setting up systems and processes and and become yes. a better, more successful business. That's what you're doing today, right? That's the objective. Is is to sit there and I'm saying, well, look, you know, I had all of this knowledge. I've seen it work, and I know what the outcomes are. So I'm not I'm not just licking up my finger and putting it in the breeze and hoping that right. it will it will blow the right way i'm sitting there saying this is structure in fact you know my one of the catch lines is it's freedom through structure it's not structure for structure's sake it's structure so you actually have the freedom to do the creative work you want to do and you can be funded for it yes right. it, it's it's how do you address um, the 95 or 98% of the job that is repetitious, done before, is the technical part. It's the grind that makes the 2% of creativity happen. Yeah. And so yeah. How, do you, how do you have that time? If you can buy the time, if you can make your systems work, um, you, you gain your financial stability. Um, and from your financial stability, you're able to sit back and say, okay, we can start, the firm can start looking at design work we want to do and we can, and we can be more systematic about how we market to get that work in. Um, it allows you to say, bring in more resources if you start to scale without the idea of saying, I'm going to have to train them all up because your systems are the method that gets 80% of that message across. Uh, yeah, there's going to be some fine tuning, but 
the fundamentals will be on on market on uh, on, on target, and therefore it's and and this is the and I probably should make this point. I, I, this is where most people go. Oh, it's not worth the effort. You know, I just I just do it as it comes, and we float right. along, and. I understand how that happens and why it happens. However, it's actually a dead end road. You're paddling yourself into a box Canyon to which there's no way to get out other than to backtrack and, yeah. and go over the steps you've already done. And yeah. uh, it's not a commercially sustainable um, position to find yourself in. Yeah. When I first started uh, with Entree Architect back in, I actually started it as a as a personal blog in 2007. I relaunched it as Entree Architect in 2012. And early on, um, when I would talk about systems and processes, I would very often get architects saying, "I don't want that because it's going to stifle my creativity. I don't want anything that that's that's telling me what I need to do and how to do it because then then I can't be the artist that I want to be." But over the years, I think through the internet and I would say probably in our community, a lot of them just hearing me say it over and over and over and over and over <laughs> again for, for 10 years, uh, I, they, they, the, the sentiment has changed. I think architects now, small firm architects, entrepreneur architects, understand that they need to do this. They need to put in systems and processes, but I don't think they know how, you know, that they get frustrated that, that I, I know I need to do this now. I know in order to be successful, in order to design the architecture that I want to design, I need to build a business, but I don't know how. Yeah. So, so how do they do that? Where do they start? Okay. Well, Mark, in, in, in the same way that you've gone through and you've, you've built your own systems to help to offer that advice and how it goes through, I've gone down that same road, exactly that same road. And my, the, uh, sorry, let me go back to the point that you raised in that discussion where there's, you're yeah. saying, um, you know, architects saying, oh, I don't want it to stifle my creativity. I, my counter argument to that is in, I'm not here to stifle your creativity. I'm here to actually encourage your creativity. I'm going to buy you the time you right. need to be as creative as you can possibly be. Explore as many options as you can to meet your client's brief. You know, but you've got to have time to do that. And to have time, you've got to be able to afford it. And you can't afford it if the business isn't supporting you. If you're fighting your business as well as trying to get your creativity done, your creativity is dead meat. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, well, it's shrunk down into such a small gap that it becomes uh, a footnote in history. It just, it isn't the fun bit. It stops being fun. Yeah, because you're caught up with everything else. You know, there's a the complexity of everything else overwhelms you. So I guess the drive that I'm the message I push out to the people that um, are interested in what I'm doing is how do we simplify that complexity? Right. And simplification comes out of that structure. And so to, coming back to your last point, your last question, how do you, I go about it? Well. I go through a program which I refer to as, you know, back on track, getting back on track, back um, on track, back on track. You know, it's not as though they 
they know where they want to go. They know how they want to go. In fact, life has just rushed in, as John Lennon said, rush, life has rushed in and while they're busy trying to do other things, you know, it, right. it takes over. So how do you get back on track? I, I guess I broke it into, to me, the simplest way to do it was to break it into three stages. And I, ref, and I define those as stage one is position. Stage two is simplify. And stage three is improve. Now, what's involved in those? Stage one, you need to, in position, you need to know where you are right now, which is, are you commercially sustainable? What's the tipping point where, what would you have to do to tip it from being not the business that you want to the business that you want? And, and here I'm talking not about design, I'm talking profitability. So this is a financial a financial tipping point. Yeah. So what 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 are the three? How can you modify? There are only three ver- financial variables in every practice, and they are revenue, um, variable expense, and fixed expense. And the beauty of it is, really small changes in any of the, that three combination, when you multiply them all together, comes up with a phenomenal spin around on your profitability. It's it's you know. It's amazing what it does. The third part of the position then is um, that a lot of people, and it always surprises me, they actually don't have a direction. They haven't got an end goal as to what their business is going to look like when they're finished with it. Right. They, they just, it's just on the treadmill. They are so used to getting in the treadmill that it's just one job in, runs through the treadmill, it goes out, another one comes in and... They're stuck. They're just standing still on the hamster wheel while it spins. Right. And right. I think a lot of us have, have this dream of what they want it to be, but then every day they get into work and they just do the work, and they never and they never you, do you, the they never. But do they the never. Planning. Go ahead. Well, they, the first thing is they never actually document what that in position is. Right. And so and and so, I break it down. There are there are basically four factors to determine that end position, and they are. People are looking, success is defined, I believe, when I, from my reading and research, I've broken it down into four elements that they're looking for involved. uh, Number one of those is recognition. Recognition from the client, recognition that the team's done its job, recognition from your um, external stakeholders, that might be other consultants, authorities, et cetera. Uh, then also, you know, the general public and, and your peers and media. Your peers, right. These are, all, these are all things that recognition is a big driver, I think, in, in uh, the work we do. You know, who wants to be sitting there producing something that no one appreciates? Right. Particularly the client. I always have the client at the top of that list. But, you know, people like to see things done. You know, why did you do that? Oh, it, you know, it's going to look great in a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> all of that stuff. So, so if I go through the riff factors, the four factors, so one's recognition. Number two is improvement. You want to be better. Improve everything. Improve, improve the types of clients. Improve the types of projects. Improve the margin. Improve the, uh, the talent you attract to your business. If you're looking to bring more people in, you're looking for improvement. And you should always, success is always about, I'm here now and I want to be further down the food chain somewhere else and that means that move is an improvement i i i, I have an aversion to the using the word change because change can go the other way 
-hmm. improvement goes in one direction. <laughs> right, right. Improvement is a positive change. A positive change. You know, I've defined where, I, where this is and improvement is something better than where we are, where we are now. And for me, just digressing a little bit, for me, um, improvement is not focused on problem solving. Problem solving is short term. And in fact, you're probably kicking the same can a bit further down the street and then it's going to reoccur. I'm totally focused on solutions. Solutions are the holistic, big picture view, what you're doing, the improvement you make takes you somewhere else and takes the whole caravan with you at the time, doesn't leave bits behind. So um, anyway, that's, that's improvement. The other, the other two factors are freedom of time, which I briefly touched on to say, you know, the success you want is to have the time to go and pick your son up from rowing. Um, after work or uh, I have the freedom of time to do the research into the jobs that I want to work on. Um, I have time to do more um, development, design development, creative work. These are the freedoms of time that, that, that I'm talking about. Yep. And then the other one, which is normally what most people immediately go to when they talk about success is, is financial freedom. You know, I've got a sustainable income. I know the business can generate a revenue, a good revenue. I know I can do it profitably. What am I going to do with that money? Do I take it out as personal wealth and, you know, set myself up for life? Do I plow it back into the business for its growth? You know, financial freedom is, a, is, a, is common on everyone's hit list. But again, it's, a, it's about actually defining these things. You know, if someone turns around to you and says, you know, I'm a practice of two people or four people now, but, you know, I'd like to be earning a million dollars a year, I'd sit there and say, no problem. Let's put that into the algorithm. Right. And do you realise you're going to have to be turning over to be making that level of profit margin? You're going to be needed to be turning over around about, you know, 80 million to 90 million dollars worth of work now to do that you're going to need a staff of <laughs> right you know you're going to need a staff of 30 odd people um you know and to do that and to build to that and to have clients with that sort of resources how are we going to go about doing it so i'm not saying don't have that as the dream i'm just saying having set the dream then you work backwards and construct all the steps you're going to need to make to reach that dream but that's right. not to say right. you shouldn't shouldn't pursue it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there. Uh, everybody has a dream, and and you know the big firms, you know KPF, SOM, they yeah. all started with a dream too, right? I mean, Absolutely. They, they, they um, uh, we're actually going to have Gene Cohen on the show in a couple of weeks, and and I'm going to talk to him about how he built KPF and that dream of building these big buildings. Um, and that's you know that those architects had those dreams too. And so, yes, it's possible. You just have to figure out how to do it, figure out the steps that it takes, and then execute on that. Correct. But, but the first, one of the first steps there is to actually define it and document it so you have a record. Because what happens is if you don't and you say, oh, but it's in my mind, I know what I'm, I'm striving to do, what happens is the world rushes into your world and starts mm -hmm. to avert it down different paths and you lose sight of 
or track of, or you remodified the picture. Nothing wrong with modifying the picture, but know you've modified the picture is the point right. I'm making. So define it to start with, and then if it starts to change, not a problem, but know how much it's changing and start to look at the implications of that. We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, and FreshBooks. You know, it's what many professionals in architecture dread, editing down a manufacturer's specification. Don't you hate that? You're staring down a 54-page specification and you really only want one product and all its attributes. That's it. You know there's a better way. And it's not throwing the entire specification into the project documents. No, it's RCAT, RCAT's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a patented, one-of-a-kind, automated spec writing tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes, not hours. Just select the products and the options you want to specify and generate a three-part CSI spec in minutes. That's it. In minutes, one, two, three. Best of all, it's free. It's free. There's no requirements for registration. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. Go to rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com and build better content with Spec Wizard. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It wasn't easy, right? It took a lot of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, You've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier for yourself? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have a solution for you. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than that dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So as you grow, it grows. You'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've already used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card. Free for 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks, EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks. And let them know that we sent you by entering Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. RCAT and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you said position, simplify, and improve. Simplify? So okay. Let's talk about simplify. Simplify is about the tools you need to make the changes that you're going to have to need to make your position work. And the the rules of simplification, or what I call them guidelines, really not rules, um, are what we've got here, six steps. And you need to look at organize, and that's to structure all of your um, on-business systems. And included in your what I refer to as on-business systems uh, is your project management office, your PMO. This is the methodologies you're going to apply across all of your projects. And you know your PMO should be 
standardizing your methodology, standardizing your processes for delivering your projects, etc. Then projects simply become the doing part of that PMO. The PMO holds the intellect, intellectual property, if you like, of how it's to be done, and then the project is the is the doing of it. Um, so number one is organize. The next part is reduce. You've got to go going back over all your systems and I mean, I have to do this myself. You go back over all of the, the information things you have and you, what you find is that there's an enormous amount of clutter that gets mm -hmm. in the way of you wanting to do things. It is either irrelevant or out of date and you need to remove all that stuff and, and reduce it down to the stuff that's active and relevant. So be intentional so, about the things that are wasting your time, the things that are not producing, the things correct. That, that, are, that are getting in the way of you doing the things that you should be doing. Correct. Um, then you come down, then the next line, once you've organised and reduced, you're looking for synergies. And this is where your systems cut in. This is where your processes come in and you go, okay, how many times do I enter the job number onto different forms? What if there was, right. I've entered the job number once and every time I open a form, the job number and the address the site address, et cetera, et cetera, is all embedded. Um, you know, you want uh, your financial system and your time management system integrated. You want the synergies. You don't want to have to fill in one system and then extract the information and then go and enter that information again somewhere else. So, you know, in the words of Buckminster Fuller, you know, you, the synergies deliver a value that is greater than the sum of the parts. You know, the geodesic dome was about, you know, how do you minimize all of the componentry, you know, into a structure that yeah. sheds the load in a way, you know, you get a strength that is far greater than any of the singular components um, that are involved in the construction of it. So from synergies, you then get into prioritise. And, and it comes back to the point actually you were talking about there, which is part of reduce. By prioritise, um, you look at the things that give you the best return on your priorities, the things that give you the best return on that investment. And it's very much the 80-20 rule, your Pareto principle. Yep. You know, focus on, on what's the 20% that will give you probably 80% of the benefit you're looking for. Here you're seeking, you're seeking success, uh, not perfection. You know, because you can sit there and you pontificate forever about the last bits and pieces of something, but you've already, you knocked the nut, you've, you've produced the guts of it very quickly. And that's where most of the meaning is. It's the low hanging fruit. You might get in and make the most of that. <laughs> right. Um, from prioritise, you then move into your time management. And this is where you start to look at your processes um, and you look at defining what's, what types of um, tasks there are. And I, I boil it down to three types of tasks. There are on-demand tasks. These are an issue that comes through the door. It happens and it has to be addressed. No warning. You have to find the time to deal with that. Right. The way, the way you find time is you go you, is is in the next two types of tasks there are. There are planned tasks in which let's say I've got to have a sketch plan produced by next Friday. You know, it's a planned task. It should take me X number of hours. 
it may be more, it may be less, but I kind of know the process that I'm going to go through and I will deal with the unique problems of this job while I go through that planning process. So I need some leeway. Yeah. Then you come to the third type and this is the one that people kind of get dismissive about, but it's actually the cornerstone to making it all work. And these are recurring tasks. These are tasks that happen. Some may be daily, some may be weekly, some may be monthly, others quarterly, even annually. They are recurring. You can define exactly what has to happen. You can write a process that covers exactly what has to happen. Um, you know exactly how long it's going to take. And what you need to do is you need to start with that when you're looking at time management and put that into your time system because these are the things that must be done for your business to, to succeed. Right. You've got to right. keep these recurring tasks done. And what you need to do is punch those already into your forecast, your time forecast, and say, I know that time is not going to be available to me. So you're then planning with what's remaining rather than the other way around, which is the on-demand sets all the criteria and then you try and fit everything else in around it. And, of course, right. it never fits. It never fits, so you never do it. Right. And, You're trying to catch up. And, and, and so the vicious circle uh, perpetuates itself and it just yeah. gets worse and worse. You're on that hamster wheel, never winning. Right. right. Um, so that's the time management side of it, you know, where you to look down to take control of, if you like, at the small level and build up from there. Um, and then the last one is learning, you know. I'm, I'm big into quality management systems. And so writing processes and procedures, documenting them, means that you know exactly what's got to happen. These, become, these can become recurring tasks. Because all the time you're trying to push as many of your um, planned tasks into the recur recurring bucket as you can because you've got the greatest control over recurring tasks that, than you do over on-demand or um, planned tasks. So the learning process is a way in which you can um, document how, you go, how, how your firm wants to do things. And the advantage is, A, you don't have to reinvent the wheel next time when you, fa when you face this same task or issue or process. And B, you've now set yourself up to be able to actually accurately delegate that to somebody else. So you can take yourself out of that loop and move it on and know that if it's followed, you will get the outcome you're looking for. So that's, that's they're the tools you need. And then you come back to the improve. And this is where you then break down your own business functions. And I've defined those, if you like, into a minimum group which is um, business management, which covers your the overview of the business, the leadership, the culture, all of the things that are, it's strategic in nature. Business management isn't really doing much. It's other parts of the business. But business management is the mixing pot where all of the information feeds up and you make informed decisions about what needs, what needs to happen in the business. Right, okay. Second part is that sits right underneath it. As I've already mentioned, I'm a big fan of quality management systems because it's a way of defining what you're going to do, how it's going to be done, and then you, you're not having to carry all of that information in the front of your head. You actually have a method of uh, being able to refer to it, 
and um, reuse the knowledge you've already gained. Then the third part of it is your financial management. That's fairly self-explanatory. However, a lot of people overlook the fact that what they should be pulling out of that every week uh, is their key management accounts. And these are quite different to the accounts your accountant or your bookkeeper wants to produce. They want to just say, oh, it's a P&L, it's this, it's that. You're looking for the variables between, you know, were we on budget for what we thought we were going to spend and were we on budget for what we needed to produce in revenue? And did we, are we able to invoice for our earned value? So for the work that's been completed in the time period we're billing for, how much work was completed? You know, and right. are we billing for that? We've got to recover that money, not leave it to some mystical future point. It's it's about cash flow. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, key key performance indicators. And key performance are- indicators, and and it should be it should be no more than eight lines of information, but they're yep. the key lines, you know. And this is the amount we're out by in hard numbers and in percentages. You know, someone says, "Oh, we're out by a grand." You go. You know, for a really big firm, they turn around and say, well, that's 0.5 of a percent. It's not a big issue. Right. You know, you're a small, you're a small guy and you're out by a grand at the end of the week. You're it's not paying yourself, you're not paying yourself a wage. That's it. Your wage yeah. has just vanished. So right. that's an issue. Um, so we go from financial management on to marketing management. And marketing management is... It's the, it's the ugly kid in the corner that no one wants to talk to. It's, um, and, and, and the reason being is they go, oh, you know, marketing sales, oh, I don't like any of that stuff. You know, it, it, it'll just, I'll do it when I can. And the danger with that is, is that if you're not completely consistent, and this is definitely a recurring series of processes and tasks, it is recurring. You can define what you're going to do in advance. And you just need to hit those numbers. And it's about consistency. People say, you know, because they get on the project roller coaster. We all know it. You get on the project roller coaster and suddenly there's a high and everything's great. And then it suddenly drops off and you're in this whole world of pain. Yeah. And, and you get to the end of the ride and you turn around and go, well, what's next? Yeah, I <laughs> and, think we're all familiar if, with that. And, and if, you haven't, if you haven't got something feeding that work to you or those opportunities to you, um, you know, you're just, you're panicking. You get into panic and you start making bad decisions. You know, you start chasing your tail and you're not building um, a sustainable business. You're just going hand to mouth. That's a problem. Yeah. So marketing, uh, marketing management is the other one that you need to then improve. And when I say improve these things, you're using all of the tools that came out of the simplify process. So then you move on to resource management. Resource management covers your HR, your premises, your facilities, and your IT support systems. How do you manage all of that stuff? You know, probably not that much of a creative area, but it's something that has to be managed and you need to know where it's going. And then the other one is, the other last two are um, knowledge management. Now, knowledge management is, I, I actually have as a standalone thing, because I have put a great deal of importance on collecting knowledge, knowing what you have, and then being able to recover it when you need it. 
it could quite easily be folded back into resources because it is a resource that you're talking about. But I like the idea of having it standalone because I think it's the importance that is due to that issue. Um, and then the last one is your PMO, uh, your project management office. And, you know, that's your engine room. That's, that's what right. differentiates a project business from any other type of small business. You know, projects are so unique. They are temporary endeavours, you know, with specified, with a start date, a finish date. They have uh, specific objectives and they are, and they, those objectives have to be met within the constraints of time, cost, money, risk, quality, you know, and you need the tools of communication, stakeholder management and all that stuff to form it up. But that shouldn't be washing around in your head. Again, that should be coming down into something that is, it is your IP, it's the company's IP and it needs to be in a location where it can be reused and shared and the consistency, <clears throat> the consistency gained from that is, is where the money lies. This is when you start to ramp up <clears throat> the amount of work you do, the type of work you do, because you know it's predictable, you know what the outcomes are going to be, and you know how, you, how much time it's going to take to deliver it. And it's a process that also allows you to be continually learning. You know, there should be continuous improvement. Every time you might have written a process and then something comes along and you find a better way to do something, well, then you come back and change the process. Or maybe you bring a new person into the business. <clears throat> and my standard thing you used to be to everyone that I used to bring in was, we've got our way of doing it here. Follow it for three months and then come back to me with anything you think you can improve on. And we will assess it. And if it's better, your way will become our way and everyone will follow it. Right, and you just roll it into your system. And you roll it into your system, but it's a system that's constantly evolving. Yeah. It's not just set and forget and sit up, on the, sit up on a shelf where no one looks at it. It is a dynamic working um, function within the business. And those seven elements that I've just described are what I call the on-business activity. Now that should be taking up, if you ask most of your, you know, most of the listeners and, and the people you're dealing with and you say to them, just off the top of your head, some have timesheets and they'll give you an accurate answer. A lot will just pull a number off the top of the head and they say, oh, I think it's probably about, you know, 10, 15% right. of my time on that. <laughs> if it's not somewhere in the order of 25 to 30% of your time, you're in trouble. You're not getting yeah. it done. You, you're, you're cutting yourself short and you've got a business that's not propping itself, not operating properly. So if you accept that it's going to be, you know, 25, 30% of your time, take that out of all of the hours available in a year. And then if you know what your revenue has to be, divide the remaining time into that and you'll come up with an accurate hourly rate rather than hourly rate set by what you think the industry will, what you think clients will deal with or what you think the industry will deal with. And I'll tell you, they're very different numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's sure. the one thing I know for truth. That's the one truth I know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, anticipated, you, you anticipated my question is, is, is I'm listening to, um, your framework of, of a basically a, a typical project-based 
small business. Everything you just yeah. described is you, you pulled apart this business and these are all the different pieces of it. So we have to uh, attend to each one in order for our businesses to be successful. So now I'm a small right. firm architect and I'm listening to this and, and I'm overwhelmed with all of the things I have to do, right? Because now, I'm, now it's, it's right in front of my face. You just opened it up and said, here's what you need to do. And so what do you say to the architects who are listening to you who say, I don't have the time to do all the things that you just said that I need to do? How do I, how do I find the time to do that? Well, I would, time is finite. That, that's, that's a fact. And the job we're involved in, everybody who's in a project business is in an infinite job. So there's infinite amount of work, but you just can't keep adding more hours to it. I, my recommendation and certainly the methodology that I've used with getting people back on track is actually what you do is you make the fundamentals of running your business sacrosanct you put that time aside and that's the mm -hmm. first thing you do you then what you time block then you say i've now got this to do my project in right and what that means is you get far more focused about how you go about that procrastination disappears you start to become a more um, efficient and effective about what you're doing but also more honest about the amount of time and what it costs to do that. Um, because the point to this is, if let's just say we, we are normally working a 40 hour week, you know, that's if you employ someone in the in contract that says, we expect you to work this many hours a week. Well, the reality is because these systems blow out and people don't manage them, they wind up plowing in huge amounts of overtime and to, to make ends meet. Right. And, and I, and I don't think, I haven't got an answer that's going to make that go away. But what I do have is an answer for what you, how to get paid for it. So if you're back working till 10 o'clock at night to get something done, it's not coming out of your pocket. It's being paid for by the client. And, and it's that change in mindset um, and the change in structure that allows that to happen. You know, it is, is putting the time aside for the things that must get done to keep the business, your business moving, then knowing that your business is going to be in business allows you to get on and do your projects for your clients. And, yeah. and it's not the other way around. Whereas most people rush the other way around. Why do they do that? Really simply in the words of Gerber, Michael Gerber, you know, they start out as technicians. They start out right. really, really good at what they do. And then right. they try to turn that into a business. And I'm saying, start with the business and turn it into a really good technical creative job. <laughs> right. right. And you just, you just gave us a great step-by-step -step process on what we need to focus on step-by-step. -step. Go down this list. Um, listen to the, uh, this episode again and get your notebook out and write <laughs> all these things down and, uh, and get started. Block out the time in your calendar and say, okay, this is the time that I'm going to spend on my business, not working in my business. And every week I'm going to spend 25% of my week on developing my business and making Correct. sure that all these things are being developed and managed and updated and improved on a regular basis. And so, Correct. Uh, Simon, this has been fantastic. So, so much information in this episode. Um, I'm sorry. It's definitely I... 
one that I think that, that listeners, well, that, that's the benefit of it being recorded, is that they can yeah. rewind it and they can go back to the beginning and they can listen to it all over again. Um, so super, super valuable. So I appreciate you uh, spending the time to go through the process. Uh, it's exactly what I had hoped we, we would do today. Uh, before well, we wrap Mark, up, I will, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, Mark, thank you for the opportunity. I, I thought I skipped over it. I'm not sure I've <laughs> it's it's fairly high level. Everything we've discussed is pretty high level. Um, sure. It, it, but to the point is, you know, what's the old adage? You know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one one little piece at a time. And that's yeah. what it's about yeah. is actually just setting us, you know, for, for everybody out there who has to address this issue, don't be overwhelmed by the size and the magnitude. Just keep breaking it down, breaking it down, breaking it down. It is... Uh, in fact, I have a diagram that describes the structure, the architecture of a, of the, of a, of a project business. And it's based on um, Sapinski's triangle, which is, you know, a fractal geometry where, which can be shrunk down to any size you want and still work or blown up to any size you need and, and still, and the mathematics of it work right, at right. any scale. And, and that's what a business is about. That's what these things are. You just keep, you know, you look at marketing, then you break it down into your website. You know, what am I doing with my website? What am I doing with social media? What am I doing with, you know, promotional work, blah, blah, blah. And then you break each of those down into its little pieces and you break it into pieces you can deal with. Yeah. But you yeah, just I you remind... have to have, you've got to put the time aside to, to then deal with the bits. Yeah, I remind listeners very often that it's about small victories. It's yep. about being being intentional about this, that this is that I that I'm going to do this and getting it on your calendar, put it, you know, time blocking your time so you know that this is this is this is time that you are going to spend on your business. It's just as important as, as any client meeting, probably more important than any client meeting, so you don't cancel it on yourself. This is time that you're going to spend on it. Um, and you just keep moving forward one piece at a time and you just keep one, one small victory after another. And eventually it all comes together. And then when, as it starts coming together, the machine starts moving, right? The gears start turning and the, Correct. the momentum starts happening and the flywheel starts spinning and it starts, Correct. you know, getting easier and easier and easier and easier as you do it. It's very Correct. hard when we start because we haven't started yet, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard to get that flywheel started, but once it starts rolling, things get easier. It does. And that's, and that's ultimately how I took a firm from three to 25. Once it started to gain momentum, we moved from, we transformed, and I use this line, we transformed from striving into thriving. You know, we, we were thriving with success. We weren't striving to get there. We were right. thriving with it. And it's self-perpetuating. Right. And we can, and we can all do it. It's just about yeah. Uh, being intentional about it, planning it out, and getting started doing it. Simon, just before we wrap up here, um, I wanted to ask you the question that I asked everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think this entire episode was was <laughs> an answer to that question over and over and over again, so pick one. But do you have a specific answer for this question? Uh, actually, I don't like to stay inside. I always color in outside the lines. Look, I think there, there would be, and, and, and they can pick one of these two. If okay. they want to take, take on a slightly larger task, is to take 
uh, to do the algorithm, to set down and do the structure for their commercial sustainability. Just to actually know, not by gut instinct, that what they hope they're doing will get them there, that there's actually a mathematical solution to getting them there. And it's, and it's quite simple. In fact, you know, I, I, can, I can offer that up as a, as a sheet to people or I can go through it with them and whatever. It's, it's really quite a simple yeah. so thing to do. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they wanted to um, uh, talk to you about that? Look, I think probably um, through the website is probably the easiest. Or look, they could even they could even email me, and I can send it out. It it is a, you know, it's a it's a spreadsheet, and yeah, yeah. it's um, and and all they're going to be putting into it is their is their uh, you know how many resources they have. You know, so if it's only one, it's one. If it's five, it's five. And what their charge, the current charge out rates are. And you punch that in and it will say, here is your target capacity. Right. You know, and, then, and then the big question is, if that's your target capacity in terms of revenue, that's the revenue you should be making, are you making it? Because <laughs> there are some big giveaways. When you start seeing gaps in numbers, you start going, uh-oh, <laughs> right. Some, something's not accurate. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. that's that's probably on the larger scale. On the smaller scale, really simple, really thing is to just sit down and make a list of every recurring task you have, either daily, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever. Make a long list. Doesn't matter, and it can be across anything. Can be in yeah. business management, it could be in finance, it could be in marketing, it could be in whatever they are, it doesn't matter. List them all out. And then if it's a recurring task, they can sit down and actually write a process of exactly what's involved in that. And they can make a and they can do a calculation on a simple spreadsheet, just go, task X is recurring and it takes me 15 minutes a day. Punch it in. When you add all of those up, you suddenly realize where the 25 to 30% of your time is right. starting to appear. And it's not yeah. the notional, oh, I'll allow 10%. You know, I'll allow half an hour a day to do it. Half an hour a day doesn't cut it. It just means you're, you're cheating the system because you're doing it on weekends or at nights to make up for it. And yeah. Yeah. as I've already gone through it, it should yeah. be at the front end. It should be at the, your business should be at the front end what you then produce on the projects should be how do you fit that in and make it pay after you've dealt with keeping the business going. Right. You want to build a flywheel, not a hamster wheel. Correct. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. I just thought of it. <laughs> You're welcome to use it. Um, so practicallypartners.com.au for Australia. So practicallypartners.com.au. We'll have that on the show notes at the, um, on the website, so anybody who wants to, if anybody is driving and can't write it down, uh, just go to the show notes. Um, you can find Simon on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, mostly LinkedIn, right? That's where yeah, LinkedIn's for me, yep. Okay, and, um, and that's it. So uh, if you want to reach out to Simon and say thank you for dropping all of this great knowledge on us today, if you want to talk to him about the algorithm, uh, it's practicallypartners.com.au. Simon, this has been a really great conversation. I really enjoy uh, speaking with you. We, we've spoken in the past, and, and I think that 
uh, you and I are on the same mission. We want to help small firm architects and other design professionals um, become better at what they do so they can have better lives. Because I think that when uh, architects, specifically small firm architects, uh, build better businesses, they're actually improving the world because they are better at what they do in architecture. Correct. That are, are building our world. So uh, I appreciate you for what you're doing. And I thank you for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. I thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Mark. It's been It's been fun. So thank you. Thank you for listening. First of all, thanks for uh, putting up with the audio. I know the audio was not at my normal standard, uh, but I hope that the value that Simon brought to this episode far outweighed my audio uh, issues. So if you do want to share this episode with your friends, today's episode is episode 293. So if you want to share this link, uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode 293. I think Simon shared a tremendous amount of value here. I think this is one of those episodes that you may need to go back and listen to over and over again in order to get everything that Simon shared with us. Uh, so much, so much information. So please share it with a friend, with someone that you think may value uh, what Simon shared with us today. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 293. And if you're looking for a simple, efficient way to learn what you need to know to grow your small firm, then join the hundreds of other entrepreneur architects who've already joined us at Entree Architect Membership. 60 minutes every month, live training and Q&A and tons of other things that we have uh, for members. Um, you can check that out right now at entrearchitect.com slash join. Go check it out. It's, it's super valuable in what we're offering over at the membership. Uh, and every month, live training, and Q&A. Uh, and then you can get back to work. Love, learn, share what you know. Have a great week. And thanks for listening. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, 
us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.